Okay, good morning, everybody. This is Dave Vellante. Welcome to the November 4th, 2008 Wikibon Peer Insight Research Meeting. Uh, the topic for today is leasing and financing strategies in, in tight capital markets. And today in the call, we are pleased to have David Berman, who is the CEO of Walden Technology Partners. Uh, David is going to lead the discussion. Um, now, many of you know the format for the for the Peer Insight, in case you're new, uh, the way it goes is I'm going to be the moderator today, and David will set up the call and share his perspectives on financing and leasing, and specifically uh, what's changed in today's tight market. Um, this is an open forum. Anybody is welcome to participate and ask questions and have a voice. At the end of the meeting, I'll do a brief summary, and that will get posted onto wikibon.org within a couple of hours, and then we'll follow that summary up with additional uh, analysis focused on user and customer actions. The meeting will last one hour and is uh, being recorded. Uh, if you are not speaking, uh, please either mute your phone, or if you don't have a mute button, you can do a star six to mute and then star six to unmute. We'd appreciate that. Um, and with that, I'd like to turn it over to David. So David, I'd like you to share your perspectives. First of all, welcome. Thank you. Good to have you. Um, I'd, we'd like you to share your perspectives on how the financial crisis is impacting uh, leasing and financing and, and why it's more important now and, and what customers should be thinking about. Thank you, Dave. Welcome, everybody. Uh, I think that the place to start in any discussion is sort of earlier in this decade because at that point in time, money was cheap. So you had interest rates of 1% or 2%. One or two percent. You had very loose credit standards in the marketplace. And leasing itself as a business uh, was was hurting because people weren't leasing the risk. The risk of ownership was very much different, and companies didn't bother with or worry about the management of capital. There was a lot of capital available. And then came Lehman Brothers and AIG and the rest of the um, market crash, which leads to incredibly tight credit. And when that happens, coupled with a recession, it is generally a very good time for leasing companies. And if you're a user, it's a time when you have to begin to look at leasing as a reasonable uh, alternative to cash for the simple reasons you don't have any cash. The, the credit markets have gummed up cash in several ways. Number one, commercial paper is hard to sell. Number two, your bank lines and your revolving credit facilities that have always been there may still be there, but there is a steeper competition in the corporation for those for that money and a greater control because that money is so important. So, you know, David asked me, you know, when should I lease? Well, you always want to lease when you don't have to, but at least consider it. Now I think people have to begin to look at it. And where leasing becomes very important is it is an alternative cash source and cash partnership that you that doesn't go against your credit facilities or revolvers, so it's new money into the corporation. If you're doing operating lease financing, and we can get into a definition if people need it, uh, it operating lease financing, then you're not taking money on the balance sheet. It's not debt on the balance sheet. Um, and hopefully also with operating lease, you generally are not 
in violation of any potential bank covenants problems. So as you need to acquire equipment, and you do, to continue to run your business, to, to stay technologically current, uh, to move forward, one of the alternatives or the best alternatives is going to be leasing, and it needs to be a managed process. Okay, great. Can, can you maybe talk about some of the different lease types and options that people have? And Sure. We'd like to get to the point where we're helping people sort of consider when they should, when they shouldn't, uh, or what the mix should be, and some of those parameters. All right. Um, as a... A statement of fact, my belief has always been, and I've dealt with clients who only buy, and I've dealt with clients who only lease, and I don't think either position's ever really right. I think leasing requires, one of the things that any lessee needs to start considering is, how do I manage my assets? And the man leasing is simply one way to manage those assets. And you have to know that at the end of a lease, you don't own it generally. If you do a capital lease, you do, but if you do an operating lease, you don't, which means you better be able to find that asset at the end of the lease. But you've got to be able to create processes internally so you know what you own and what you don't own. The two type of lease, I mean, basically, leasing comes down to two kinds, operating and capital, uh, from a lessee point of view. And just to put it out there, there are four rules for an operating lease that the lease term has to be less than 75% of the useful life of the asset. And most things that plug into things or software uh, both almost have an indeterminable real life. So that, that rule is easy. The present value of the rent has to be less than 90% of the equipment cost. There can be no bargain for purchase option at the end, and there can be no title transfer. If, if you qualify, there is none of those things, and the rent's less than 90%, then you have an operating lease. And what an operating lease does is it takes it off your balance sheet, becomes an expense item on your books, and for varying ratio reporting and, and ratio issues and reporting issues, a lot of companies, as well as bank covenant issues, a lot of companies are limited to only doing operating leases. That's not always the case, but it's mostly the case. So, let's make sure I got those. So, lease term's got to be less than 75% uh, of the useful life. The present value of the rent has to be less than 90% of equipment cost. Correct. Uh, no haggling at the end of the lease. Correct. And there's no title transfer. Correct. Uh, have you ever seen a situation where uh, auditors came in after the fact and maybe some of these conditions weren't met? They did this transaction off balance sheet and then. Am I, I am sure the books or is that yeah. risk here? Or? It is, of course. So let, that that begs a different question, Dave. That begs the issue of who's involved when you lease. Yeah. So what are the who's the guys in the organization? Yeah. That we need to get involved to so make sure that that doesn't happen. This is a financial leasing documentation. Is a financial. It, it is a financial instrument. And at this point, I should admit, um, although with some hesitancy, that I'm a lawyer. And so the documents really do matter. And that means that if you're a lessee and you've never leased before, you're probably going to have to involve internal counsel. Further, the other people, if you're in IT, that you, I'm sure you deal with anyway but may have a greater interest is certainly going to be the Treasury Group. They have the rules. They have your bank covenants. They're in charge of those relationships. They're in charge of the money relationships. 
And they're the ones who are probably coming and saying, you can't have any money, and you're coming back and saying, but I need this stuff. So those, those are the key dialogues in your organization. Primarily it's going to be finance and treasury, but alternatively it's also going to, you're going to have to include legal at some point. Okay. Can you talk about, well, actually, um, that brings up another question when you're talking about legal. I mean, lawyers oftentimes, I mean, obviously, no offense, but, but you got to have a good lawyer, but a lot of times lawyers can mess up contracts if they don't know what they're doing. I, I would think that's even more the case in, in leasing. I mean, do you have to have a specific domain expertise, um, or is that, am I overstating that? It, it, the lawyers have to I don't want to waste time. Okay, I don't want to waste a lot of time on this. I will tell you over the years dealing with numbers of counsel, people either get it or they don't. And a lot of lawyers don't get it. Um, they don't understand the nature, the business nature of the relationship. And there are a couple of key points in the legal relationship they do understand. Get somebody who understands leasing. That's the only piece of advice I'd give there. This is you don't want somebody. This is the first lease they've ever looked at. All right. So um, for customers in the call, where, where do I go for for leases? I, mean, I go to vendor. I can go to independent leasing companies, banks. Where, where do I go to get this? So so it's, what's what's really intriguing is, and, and it's important. I think most people know this inherently. Vendor leasing companies have, have been, over the course of the last decade, um, I think the primary source of funding and leasing in the technology space. And just to give you a, a, a sense of it, because I did some stat lookup before here, it's about a $270 billion business. So it's not small. And vendors only eat up a piece of that business. And, and uh, technology only eats up a piece of that $260 billion. But the vendors are generally the best source because they have a separate agenda. Their agenda is to move product. If they can create leases that help you pay for it, that's great. However, that said, two things. Number one, they are all under the same kind of credit pressure that everybody else is. And that what that really means in some ways is that companies whose credit worthiness is suspect are going to have a hard time, and that's just the way it is. They're having a hard time with banks. They're going to have a hard time in general. It also means that, in my mind, as you begin to manage your resources, I think it's advisable for lessees to at least look to independent third-party lessors who have no particular stake in what you choose just to check the market or because you want an IBM this, an EMC that, and, and two other uh, small pieces of uh, another vendor's stuff, but you really want to include it because it's all part of your own view of a system or something that's coming in at one time. Independents may be more willing because they aren't tied to the vendor uh, to offer creative quotes. I think if you sole source today, you're, you're missing opportunities because you don't know, none of us know, what's going on behind the scenes in terms of um, the finance companies themselves, how far they can go. They all have new criteria internally that they have to meet. Um, one of the largest companies in the world called a client and said, you can do one of three things. 
you can go buy the goods elsewhere, you can pay me more money for it, or you can just stop this relationship right now. And this is the largest finance company in the world. So we don't know what's going on behind the scenes here, and you need to, I think, check the market value because it's your money you're paying out every month. So it sounds like I can probably get a better deal from the vendor um, in general, uh, but there's a lock-in factor there, right? Financial yes, footprint. Yes, that's right. There's a the idea of financial footprints. What everybody wants, and, and which means I control that piece of your floor with my financing, so you can't move away from me. So the vendors have always wanted that, and it's a key concept for them. What I, I will disagree, Dave. I don't know right now. I just don't know whether vendors are the best deal in town. And I think that given the current environment, it is well worth your while as a lessee, as a buyer, to at least begin to explore alternatives. That doesn't mean you don't go back to the vendor, but it, it does mean at least you get some uh, comfort that it's an informed decision rather than just a knee-jerk decision. All right, so I'm just going to tick off some of the, the pluses and minuses as we, as we go along here. Um, uh, so I can do transactions off balance sheet. That, that's a good thing. I mean, better use of cash. Yes. Um, that's the primary one. Right. Okay. That's the primary use of cash. Uh, I, I'm, I'm obviously guarding against technological obsolescence. Yes. Right? That's a good thing. And, and in, in the technology market, we know how important that is. Um, how about some of the drawbacks? What do I got to watch out for? Well, I, I, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you a story. I, I was sitting in an office a long time ago with a client, and I was selling my leasing services, and we were done, and the client said to me, wow, you're one, st one step above the pond scum I'm used to dealing with. And I think I took that as a compliment at the time, but I wasn't sure. Anytime you have the kind of money we're talking about, I just mentioned the $260 billion market, and contracts that are very, very finely drawn. You have to be very careful as a lessee in terms of who your partners are, what other people's experiences are with them, and then the most important thing that every lessee has to understand, leasing is a back-end business. This has nothing to do with what's the lowest rate up front. This is what happens at the back end. Is this a reasonable partner? Uh, you know, if you're a week late, do they charge you a month? Are the contracts drawn so they evergreen forever if you fail to give appropriate notice? Um, there are some bad actors out there, and, and I don't mean that in a, in a vicious sense, but some people who create real problems for lessees because of the way they handle their ownership of that asset. And so the partnership, there is a partnership aspect in the leasing decision that I think is really important for lessees to play out as they would with any other vendor. Okay, and I want to I talk about, you know, some of those things to look for in, in contracts and some of the potential red flags. But let me just see if, uh, at, at this point, let me just stop and see if anybody has any comments or questions in the, on the line. Any, any, any burning issues you guys want to get in the table, or should we just continue along? Uh, this is Gary. Can you hear me okay? okay. Sure can. Go ahead, Gary. Uh, I, I don't know if you were going to talk about this, but at some point I'd like to hear uh, your thoughts around um, a um, 
uh, at least back uh, of of uh, of assets. If a company has um, owns um, ten thousand PCs or whatever it might be, uh, and a vendor wants to come in and buy those back, uh, is that a lease back purchase? Is that what they call that? It's called a sale lease back. Sale lease back, yeah. Yep. Uh, so at some point, I'd like to, I don't know if you're planning on talking about that, but uh, I'd, I'd like to hear about that. So that, that's okay. I, I can deal with that pretty quickly. Sale leaseback is simply a way to take the assets that I own and transfer the title to them to a third party. And it's kind of, it's not dissimilar to what happens a lot in commercial real estate um, where you do leases on buildings and um because you don't really want to own them. In this case, there are two issues with a couple of issues with sale leasebacks. Number one, I believe in most jurisdictions there are some notice requirements in terms of making sure there's no other owners. Number two, you're going to have an accounting question regarding the book value of that which you're selling. So if you can sell it for book value and or more or less, you're going to end up with a profit or a loss at the moment. If you sell it exactly at book value, then you're fine. You know, that's sort of all equal. It is a way to, to raise money. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, who determines book value? You do. It's on your books right now. Every asset is depreciated on your corporate books under, you know, whether it's double declining balance or straight line or whatever it is. Every, at any given day, your Treasury Department can probably give you the book value of every asset you own. So, so when you do a sale leaseback, you can't go back to the conversation earlier about why Treasury is so important. They're the ones who will determine the value. Now, it can be a way to sell equipment that maybe has greater value today than your depreciated value, and you'd end up with a profit. You may or may not want to do that. But that said, sale leasebacks are a very reasonable way for you to have a second look, if you will, at the original decision. So now I can just sell it today, do the same lease that I was going to do before. It won't have very much effect if you're doing it as a capital lease because all you're essentially doing is giving up uh, collateral for a note. If you're doing it as an operating lease, it certainly takes it all off of one set of your books and puts it on another. That you don't own it anymore. It's now just an expense item, and then you've got to do the accounting right on the sale leaseback. Okay, so any, um, uh, you can basically do a capital or an operating lease. It really doesn't matter. It depends doesn't on matter, no. how you want. No, I mean everything is no. You can do anything you want. They have implications in accounting. Well, if you were recommending this to a client, uh, sale leaseback, I guess it would have to. Uh, I'm assuming it would it would be based on the uh, particular client. But if you were doing a uh, sale leaseback, would you recommend a operating lease, uh, generically or a capital one, or it would really depend on the uh, the climate, the financial climate of the customer? I think it would depend on the financial climate of the customer. My own gut would be that that a sale leaseback for a capital lease is merely a method of borrowing money against those assets because I made a wrong decision or the world changed, which it did, which makes sense. If you go to an operating lease, that makes a little bit more sense because it's like, okay, I don't really want to own these assets anymore. Um, here's a li reasonable lifetime 
I'm going to move them off my books, and I'm going to be prepared to deal with the lease end when it comes. So are you seeing this, that, that type of activity being you know, more common? Uh, Sale leasebacks are, I think, one of the vehicles in this kind of credit market that you're going to see a little bit more activity around. Why? Because it's a very quick way to raise cash. I have the assets. I, I bought this stuff two years ago, and now I want to convert it because I, it's got a five-year life, and I don't want to wait three years, and, and I need the money today. It's one way of doing it. I think the problem with sale leasebacks is that the documentation on it, I want to see the original, as a lessor, I would like to see the original invoice. I want to make sure that it's on your books correctly. I need to know you've paid for it. You have to have clean title, blah, blah, blah. There's a whole different series of warranties and indemnities that come with it um, that need to be a little bit more carefully drawn. So it sort of brings up two questions that I wanted to put out there. So thank you, Gary, for the question. Is there any others that you guys want to put on the table before I start querying David again? Any other burning issues out there? If not, um, it seems like two really important things in, in this world are the residual value and the contract itself. You know, maybe we could talk about those two things a little bit. Um, I don't know. RV, how important is it? I mean, obviously, it's residual value is simply the, the the future value that somebody placed in the asset you're buying today, and it should be. You don't have to say much about it, except different leasing companies will create a rate based on their different views of what the residual is. What is also important, though, as you customers, you lessee, look at your own environment, is what do you think it is? What's the value for you if you've made a mistake? And you need it, and you need the equipment for a longer period. You ought to have a rough idea whether or not the offer you're getting is one that you believe makes economic sense, right? So you can check it against sort of your own reality and present valuing of some future value, some residual value, to figure out does that make sense? What you're, what you've agreed to if you go to an operating lease. The contract is. Um, Before you get off that, okay, so. so it seems like so you've got leases. Uh, what's the typical lease term? Is it three years? Three years, right? Generally. So um, my question is: Is there increasingly an imbalance over, let's say, the last decade or two between uh, the economic life and the technological life of an asset? Is that an issue for customers? How should they manage that? I think I think the biggest issue for customers isn't there, Dave. I think the biggest issue for customers is they don't know how to manage leases. It, it doesn't really matter what the economic and or useful life is. The fact is, sometime after the lease is expired and they've paid two or three payments ongoing, somebody bothers to note that, oh, geez, that lease expired, and we have to do something. But I don't think inherent, inherently, if you manage your program correctly and you unplug the asset and return it at the end of the lease, uh, or certainly within a very reasonably short time thereafter, then you'll do a good deal for yourself. If you keep paying for it because you don't have the administrative ability to track it, you don't know what's happening, three different people are in the job it's, it's, that track this stuff, you're going you're to have a losing proposition, and it may have been necessary at the time, but in the long run, you will pay for it. Please, again, in capital bold letters, leasing is a back-end business. So... Much more important 
I mean, the residual value is the residual. Right. So it's a forecast of the future value of, right. of the equipment. Correct. You've got to make sure that you're getting a reasonable Correct. estimate um, by whatever means. I mean, there's sources sure. out there. Right. You've got to go around and shop and do your research like anything. Right. But you're saying much more important is the, the management of the lease, the tracking of the assets, yes. having a good asset management system and processes in yes. place. And if you don't, you shouldn't be leasing. Or put this way, before you start leasing aggressively, you better put those things in place. Yeah, and you have time. If I enter a three-year lease, I've got time to put the program in place. But I can't tell you how many lessors have laughed all the way to the bank because a, le a lessee leased 500 PCs and at the end of the lease could find at least 250 of them. Um, so those things do matter, uh, and they are... Return provisions is probably the other, um, is a key element of a back-end leasing business that you have to, as a lessee, pay attention to. What are the return provisions? How are you supposed to return the equipment? Are they reasonable to your standards? Um, and if not, everything, the one thing I can tell you, everything in the lease is negotiable except for the hell and high water obligation, which means that you're going to pay this lease come hell or high water. And that part of it is non-negotiable. And the second you try to negotiate that, every leasing company should walk away because that's what they need to be able to fund it with their banking sources. So return provisions, that's sort of in my brain sending off this red flag. So are they reasonable? So I can see if you if you get a mainframe and the, the, the leasing company says, all right, well, you've got to have, you got to maintain the original packaging. You've got to send it back. Exactly. Fine, right, but if it's, 10,000 PCs, That's right? correct. I, I don't think I could find all the original packaging for my home PC. But, but is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that's exactly what yeah. I'm talking about. So the, the return provisions have to be reasonable. I mean, you know, so there's a difference between original packaging and, you know, a reasonably commercially standard um, box. It's the same way the other issue that comes up in the same regard is fair market value. Fair market value is not defined in many leases. Right? A fair market value, just so everybody knows the basic definition, it is a contract between a willing buyer and a willing seller under no compunction to buy or sell. A lot of leases don't have that language in it, which makes fair market value, in some leases I've seen, says fair market value according to the lessor. Let me suggest that might be a little bit higher than you, the lessee, might think it should be. But if you sign the contract, you just gave up a big, huge leverage stick. How about um, things like uh, configurations and, and how sensitive should users be to that? I mean, the hardware and software, the you know, the memory that's installed, the disks that are installed. Is that are those important factors? I mean, do I got to return the equipment in the exact same? Uh, form or is that the no, you can, you can, re you can return it with more stuff on is it. Is that negotiable or okay? Not usually. So it's, it's okay. And so if I return it with more stuff, do I get any value from it? So like no. my apartment and the landlord says thanks a lot and your exactly. rent's going up kind of thing? So Yes. All right. So users have to be very careful about, about all those things in the contract as well. Yeah. So if you, if you do some kind of huge memory upgrade to something, let's say 18 months into a two, three year lease, then you, is that a separate distinct replaceable, removable asset, because if it is, then you can own it and you can take it out. You don't have to lease it. Again, making sure that the lease doesn't require you to lease it. 
those are those kinds of terms. But assuming you can and it's, it's a discrete asset, you can take it out. Software is a different thing. Software is important for people to understand or lessees to understand, or lessors, excuse me, how much, what percentage of the system, quote, is software. And is that software transferable to a second user? That's a very critical area. So, for example, NetApp, and I just use this as an example, and it's not a buzz against NetApp, they do very well. NetApp doesn't allow the transfer of its software to a third party at the end without re-licensing that software to the new user. I understand it, I appreciate it, I, I respect it. There's no residual value in NetApp hardware in general, from my experience. So things may have changed because of, that fact. because of that fact. And that's okay, they own that market and they've done a good job of protecting that market. IBM's not that way. You can, on some of the boxes, move the operating system software with it to a third party, and that's all part of the contract. And it's understood, and it creates a higher residual value in some of those. Ms. Common, is EMC the same way, or am I mistaken there? I think EMC is the same way. Yeah. So they're trying to essentially control the, the used market and... Yes. And do Everybody tries to control the used market um, to, with usually varying degrees of success. At, at the end of the day, what's, what's really important is that as you, enter, as you enter these kinds of financing discussions and decisions, uh, there are a lot of little details that come into it. To, the, to this point, you know, is the software of this system transferable at the end? What's the value I'm getting? What's, what do I, I, my lessor has to know everything because he's going to talk to the vendor. If I get a deal, I'm generally talking to the vendor to make sure that I understand that which is shipping to the lessee. You know, so you, you've got to make sure you get your details right. Okay, good. Um, so speaking of the, okay, let me actually review. So the, the important factors in the contract in managing the lease are important factors in general and specifically the contract. Uh, managing the lease, doing asset tracking, asset management, and then things like return provisions, um, uh, uh, software, transferability, yes. uh, et cetera. Any, any other big things in the contract that we should be thinking about? Or is that, are those the big ones? Those tend to be the big ones. Um, everything else is pretty much negotiable. And, and frankly, I like to think, and I've funded close to a billion dollars on my contract. I have no problem uh, posting it with you if you want as a sample contract. I don't think it's a, a proprietary, it's not a proprietary document. The schedule is. So I have no problem sharing the lease with anybody because I think it's a pretty standard, I'm sure most, most lessees may say, well, I wish I had something more, but it's a fairly standard document that's probably been funded with uh, you know, 40 or 50 lessees and maybe 25 to 40 financial institutions. So, so it's pretty standard stuff. So would that be useful as an artifact to post up on, on Wikibon? You're saying you, we could do that? Absolutely. Would, would you guys see that as useful or anybody? Sure. sure. Okay. So we'll do that maybe as part of the whole package here. No problem. Um, so speaking of vendors, can we talk about, maybe flip the switch a little bit and yeah. talk about maybe some of the advice that you'd give to the vendor community? Um, you, I've heard you say, what you just said it's a $260 billion market, and, and you, you said you, you often hear, oh, nobody does leases. Right. <laughs> so so the, from a vendor community, I mean, I think 
the people, the mature vendors in the world, the NetApps, the IBM, the EMC, Sun, HP, I mean, they all have uh, very active leasing programs with varying degrees of success. Um, some are, you know, widely respected, and some are roundly criticized. But it doesn't matter who; they all know it's important. Where, where the vendor market is interesting is that I think prior to this particular meltdown, going back to where I started this discussion, customers tended to buy, and therefore new vendors with new products tended to have an, um, a marketplace that was readily available for a cash buy, and that's how they viewed the market. With the world changing, I think leasing becomes a more important, or the payment over time becomes a far more important aspect of what you're offering. And, and I'll, re I'll reference this in the simple way that I've always believed that there are two events that occur in the sale of anything. One is a decision that says, I want that technology, forklift, airplane, I don't care what. And then there's a second decision. How do I pay for it? It's that second decision that is now um, more critical in this environment. So I want your stuff, your new guy's stuff. I like it. But if I'm a vendor, especially of a relatively young product, how, that, how do I get them to lease it because no leasing company is going to put residual if I'm, I don't have product that's been shipping for three years, which means you better find a partner. You should find a partner with whom you can work on the back end, on some kind of back end sharing relationship who can help you finalize deals. And the biggest, from vendors' point of view, I think um, there is a concern, and this happens in the reseller community too, there is a concern that leasing decelerates the sales cycle. And I would argue, and I've had this discussion many times, I would argue that it's an accelerant to the sales cycle. There's a hiccup time because of uh, documentation issues. But once you have a lease in place with a client, the ability and ease with which you do follow on business is absolutely spectacular. It's a phone call. It's an agreement on the phone. It's, I need this now. What's the lease? Done. I'll get your paperwork tomorrow. We're done. All of a sudden, you fit within their framework of how they're buying. It's very easy. There is a hiccup up front, but it, it, is, it can accelerate buying dramatically. And if you're a new company and you're selling a product that's north of $25,000, bucks, and you don't have a, vending pro, a vendor program and or a, a leasing partner with whom you feel you can work closely, I think you have a problem getting acceptance of your product in the market today. So I know a lot of smaller companies, sort of some, where some of your advice is going, that some of these smaller companies uh, really need to, to think about that. We were on the three-part uh, call the other day, and, and we asked the question about, uh, you know, have they seen any change in, in, in leasing and financing as a result of the, the tight markets? And um, they said, their CEO said, or CFO said, yeah, we have this deal with, I think it was uh, uh, a key bank. Um, but the fact was, they didn't um, participate in a lot of these deals. So they set up this deal like two years ago, but they're sort of left out in the cold um, because the customer has a relationship with an existing bank and, and uh, you know, and or a, a leasing company. Um, what do you tell those guys? I mean, it, it, should they sort of 
try to be more aggressive? Is that importance of that heightened in these type type financial markets, or is it just more sort of a slow evolution? I think I think it, it's uh, if your client if your client has uh, leasing contacts or other leasing vendor relationships that they want to pursue. I don't know that that's a real problem. The problem is going to arise in that if you are a relatively young company and your client needs an operating lease in order to lease, you're going to have to strike a backroom deal with somebody to guarantee the residual or to take 90% of the cash up front and then have a residual share agreement with the lessor. I, I think that in... Separately, I don't think it's important for a vendor to necessarily be the leasing company of choice. But it is because if they have other partners for your product and it's easier for them, that's fine. Go to my, go to my previous statement where leasing is an accelerant. No, I don't need you. I've got guys in place. Bill, you know, Joe Leasing Company A, who I have a relationship with, that's great. What do you care? You're going to get paid fairly, you know, timely, and you build the leasing company, and away you go. Um, so I don't think it's important that they own it. What I think it's important is that they offer it and are able to have intelligent discussion around the issues that surround it, much like we're having now. Right. Okay, good. Um, all right, so we're doing pretty good on time here. There's a little bit more that we can explore. I'd like to talk about, um, if we can flip it back to the sort of customers on the call, um, and, and or the vendors, for that matter. Um, given the financial climate, or just leasing in general, what would you say are the top things that people should do and or be aware of um, as it pertains to, to leasing? Good question. The most important thing for everybody to understand about leasing, at least in the operating lease business, and I, I hate to be boring, is it's a back-end business, and that you can't enter you can't enter into this these contracts lightly. So, from a lessee point of view, I think that you have to have a management team commitment to this process. Everybody has to know what's going on, and there are there are acquisitions that go. I'm sure that take place in the data center or in the IT world where a lower level person may have authority up to twenty five or fifty thousand bucks or whatever it is, and they can just buy it and that's what they've done. And that the world may have changed. I have a client who I have dealt with for years and who has never leased a large capital asset, what I you know, production equipment in, in their lives. They've just always paid cash. These are two, three million dollar pieces of equipment. They are suddenly, because of budget slashing and 8% of the capital budget being slashed, they're now looking to finance stuff all over the world. So be aware of the alternatives that are available to you and make sure that there's a general agreement among CIO, CFO, Treasury, all the people in the game of what you're doing and what there's a plan. I think if you go into this haphazardly, choose your partner's um, haphazardly, you're going to have a very poor result. I think this is a team effort in the corporations and the rules under which you're leasing need to be understood by everybody. And then you can go out and do an effective partnering program. And, and then just in, inferring from your earlier comments, is it 
how crucial is it that, uh, that, that customers understand the difference between uh, you know, an operating lease and a, and a capital lease? Is that I think, it's, well, I think it's really critical because what, what can happen and has happened is guy signs lease for stuff, turns out to be a capital lease, all of a sudden, however it happens, Treasury finds out and you're in default on your bank covenants and you did it if you're in IT and you didn't even know it. Now, is that all recoverable? Are there waivers? Sure. But it's embarrassing and it's difficult and it puts you in a position of vulnerability that you never want to be in. So yeah, it's very important that you understand what are the corporate rules. If the corporation doesn't mind doing capital leases, which means for our purposes that there's a title transfer at the end, there, there is a thousand different ways where those kinds of leases can be structured and be interesting because you're still in the same situations where you're not using current lines, you're not using current banking relations, you're expanding the potential of borrowed capital, and you can structure leases with balloon payments, with step payments, with any number of um, op options that more closely align with how you would like to pay for that particular asset as long as you're credit worthy, and that's a big point here, as long as you're credit worthy in this tight credit environment, I think there's a lot of things for you to do, and it's worth the conversation. And I think part of this whole presentation is I, I would encourage the conversation for people. I don't know enough about any individual corporation's decision making to say yes you should or yes you shouldn't. I do know enough from my experience to suggest it's an internal conversation well worth having and well worth understanding. Great. Okay. Um so I, I think I'm pretty much in a position to summarize. Uh, do, do you guys have any other items that you want to cover uh, before I do that? You just open it up. Gary, this is about uh, fair market uh, value leases. Uh, I'm sorry, I sort of missed the point. Where do they? Uh, just give me another 10, 15 seconds on that. What is a fair market? Uh, can you re repeat the question, Gary? It's a fair market value lease, as you said? Yes. Repeat, is there a question about them? I'm not sure what the question was. What is it? I'm sorry. I, I know that uh, a lot of the big vendors are offering them and claiming uh, through their partners that uh, the fair market value leases are like operating leases, that, they're, that they're, uh, they tend to be looked at as, uh, you know, as an expense as opposed to... Uh, That's correct. Uh, a fair market value lease and an operating lease are not the same because a fair market value lease simply means that at the end of the lease, I, I the lessor, own it, you don't, you have rights for, quote, the fair market value of the equipment. Now, what makes an operating lease different from that is an operating lease has the added requirement of it being the present value of those rents being less than 90% of the equipment cost. Fair market value leases do make a lot of sense if you came in late. What I've been saying is that vendors are going to be the prime purveyor of leasing as they try to continue you know, their sales. It's a method of them continuing their sales and their customer base. I believe that given the environment, it's well worth finding out what 
independent third parties might do with similar equipment, just to keep them honest. David, I think the, the point that needs to be clarified is that you can have a fair market value lease that's still a, a, a capital lease. That's correct. So, um, so how it's treated from an accounting standpoint is is material. Once once again, why you should have treasury involved, right? Yes, I thank you, John. I agree with that. Okay, that was John MacArthur. Um, yep. Is there another question that somebody had, or? All right, so David, um, let me ask you. Um, so how can go, go ahead? Question. Yeah, I had it just a, this is David Flaw. I had a quick uh, comment to, to make, which uh, in, in this tightening environment, uh, I would suggest that the, uh, that the reviews, the management reviews that uh, a piece of equipment uh, that wants to be purchased will go through will be more stringent. Um, so the, the, the questions that might be asked and might have to be answered as part of that would be, uh, do I actually have to buy this, or can I use my existing assets in some other way uh, to um, uh, avoid uh, the use of capital? And the second would be that how certain are you um, at the end of the lease that you can actually release that, that, um, that equipment? So particularly in storage, uh, releasing equipment can take uh, a significant amount of time uh, to do that. So how confident are you? So processes that help uh, release equipment and processes that uh, tell you uh, how, ef how effective your utilization of assets are uh, would be useful in terms of uh, accelerating uh, any purchase decisions that would have to be made. Those are a couple of really good points. The latter one we've actually heard on previous calls before that, that in some cases, we had one customer tell us that, how long was it, David, it took them to migrate a five, disk away? About five months uh, for them, yeah. yeah. So, and they, they were a company that did three-year leasing for virtually everything, and so it was always a very painful process. And in particular, what they did is they went into a, a, a virtualized storage infrastructure to minimize that um, that, that migration pain. But that maybe brings up another point of of, of the, the the pressing need to be able to easily migrate technologies. And I, I don't know if something as specific as storage virtualization warrants a discussion. Um, but what do you guys think? Well, <clears throat> there's. The, the availability of data migration tools and, and the availability of storage virtualization, I mean, that's been one of the big drivers is, is all around uh, the ability to move, move data from one place to another so, uh, in, in a, in a, in a non-disruptive way. So, and and, it, and it's, not just, um, it's not just storage, but it applies to servers as well. One of the, one of the reasons that, you know, you've got uh, Server virtualization is the, the ability to move workloads from one, one set of physical servers to another you know, so, somewhat dynamically. And that, that makes it a lot easier for a customer to return an asset at the end of the lease period. So it's, it's I mean, those, hmm. Go ahead, sir. No, go ahead. I was going to say, would you consider those as, as prerequisites to to aggressive leasing strategies, or are these sort of nice-to-haves? Uh, 
I would I would cons I would consider the ability to timely return equipment at the end of a of a lease, or at least uh, as as an important important component of the of the the uh, evaluation of whether or not to lease. If you can't if if you know that you can't ever return things in a timely fashion, you probably shouldn't lease unless it's the only way for you to acquire equipment. I'm going to correct you. You can't put it on an operating lease. Yeah, that's, you're right. You're right. You, you, that's a that's a good correction. Yeah. So because and I think the reasons are obvious because the penalties are going to be so onerous that you're it's going you're going to be in trouble at the back end. But if you have assets like that and you don't have cash, there are other right. ways. Capital. Right. Put it on a capital lease. Available and you may want to structure your capital lease. The other thing that happens with capital leases that is interesting is that you're, while operating leases tend to be three-year time frames, and there are outliers, capital leases can easily go four and five. And oh, by the way, for every, anybody who's on the call, I think borrowing money for any longer than five years in this environment is a dream around this stuff. It's a dream. And it used to be occasionally you get seven-year leases with a variety of structures it's a dream. If you get five-year money, consider yourself lucky. HSBC, one of the largest banks in the world, <coughs> a purveyor of a lot of capital, walked away from the market in the fourth quarter. They aren't funding any new leases. I mean, and they're not alone. It's out there. And, and so you have to be realistic in your assessment of available money and what's reasonable in the marketplace. The leverage point has changed. You as a lessee don't have a lot of leverage if you need cash, which, to go back to the beginning of this conversation, makes it so important that when you choose a lessee, lessor, and a partner to finance your goods, you are sensitive to all the different things that can go wrong, all the different abilities of your own organization to deal with the term of the lease and the back end of the lease, all the contractual issues. It is a partnership, and it's an important one because you need the money. So you have to bring up another question here. So HSBC is walking from deals. I heard GE is either walking or making deals very unattractive. The walking from deals is a bad way to put it. Yeah. They've decided not to pursue additional deals in the marketplace. You don't have to be so politically correct here. But okay. But so they've, they've chosen at this time not to aggressively go after right. new deals. It's, it, it, and I've heard GE is similar. But so at the flip side of that, I've heard that IBM is, is happy to do deals and has – IBM has money than right. deals. <laughs> right, so they'll have more money than deals because IBM, is, which is one of the great you know, global finance companies, they are in the business of helping IBM move product. They are a product enabler, sales product enabler. So they're good at it. They have a lot of money. They've done it for a long time. They're a great finance company, certainly worth conversation. So I think you're talking about IBM, HP, obviously. Yes. Um, I have different opinions about all of them, and I'd rather not do that. But they, all of the vendors are worth talking to. So, so, I mean, virtually any vendor is going to have a lease program? Any one of the major systems companies will. So for our for our Wikibon users, we're talking about IBM, HP, EMC, Will, uh, Sun, um, Sun, Sun, NetApp, Cisco. Yep. Does Microsoft? Do they? Yes. Okay. They do. Because they got so much money, they'll, yes, they have they'll lease hardware. They have a finance program. They yeah. know they... They will lease their. They will finance their software, and then I don't know what else. Uh, okay. They'll do. So, how uh, important? It, 
IBM. This is Gary piping in. I think uh, Cisco uses IBM money. I believe so. I think that's right. They, oh. yeah, that, that's correct. They made a conscious Cisco effort. Cisco has their own finance arm. But they also started, um, IBM started uh, aggressively financing Cisco equipment as well. Right. You know, there's one other thing, and I know we're getting to the end, but there's one other thing that we haven't talked about at all, and that's, and that is going into the question of whether to acquire new equipment or not, and if you don't have the capital budget to do it now. Um, uh, we've talked about using leasing as a way to fund things that wouldn't otherwise be fundable, but we haven't talked at all about the opportunity cost of failing to refresh equipment in a timely fashion. And so you know, there's not time in this call to do it, but I think it's, it's an important discussion for a future uh, event maybe. Your point being that if you can't refresh, you're going to pay higher maintenance costs. You're going to you're going to hit, hit technological obsolescence. It's going to impact your business. It's going to ripple through your your entire operation. You've got operating right, right. You've got operating costs, including including power and cooling, where we're making enormous strides. We have um, uh, we have consolidation issues, um, and and we have you know keeping up with. Customer growth and data growth. That if you fail, if you if you fail to take action, you you create other risks for the company. So power and cooling, maintenance costs, other other operating expenses that are going to be higher, uh, and a less capable technology portfolio. Exactly. All right, I'll try to get that into the summary. And if I don't, it's a wiki. So hit edit. <laughs> Okay, uh, let me summarize here. Anything else that anybody wanted to put forth so that we at least uh, recognize it in the summary? And again, if not, feel free to go in and, and edit the pieces. What do we want to call this piece? Any suggestions? But, uh, but show me the money. Uh, that works. Leasing and financing strategies in tight capital markets. Uh, How about leasing... Uh, Strategic or tactical? I like that. Leasing, is it strategical or tactical? Is that what you said? Yeah. Strategic or tactical? Strategic or tactical. I think it's, uh, I know I need it. How do I pay for it? I mean, are we reacting to an economic? slow down in the global markets with this strategy, or is it something we need to do within our own business confines? What are the real pressures driving this? Okay, so we've got a few there. Leasing is it? Go ahead. Uh, I, I think you make a good point, which is at the, at the, at the point that, they, that they, they're getting to this financing decision, they've already decided they need it to operate the business. So how the heck am I going to pay for it? So I, we got leasing. Is it strategic or tactical or leasing? I know I need it. How do I pay for it? Yeah, I think those are both good. Which one? Any 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 tiebreakers out there? Opinions? Strategic or tactical? Okay, great. Um, David, how do people get in touch with you if they want to talk? Or uh, if anybody wants to have a conversation, seven eight one two three five. Two three four one, or you can. It's my office, or my uh, email address is dberman b u r m o n 
at waldentech.com, W-A-L-D-E-N-T-E-C-H.com. Okay, that was 781-235-2341. Correct. Okay, good. Um, well, David, thank you very much for leading the call today. I thought it was excellent, very insightful. Um, I'd also like to thank uh, Gary McFadden, John MacArthur, and David Floyer, and Fred Moore for your comments today. Um, so I will now summarize. So this is Dave Vellante. Today is Election Day, November 4th, 2008, and this is the Wikibon Peer Insight Storage Research Meeting. And the title of the piece is Leasing. Is it strategic or tactical? And today's piece was... Uh, supported by David Berman of Walden Technology Partners. So on Election Day 2008, the Wikibon community gathered to talk about financing and leasing IT equipment in tight capital markets. So we started the call with what has changed, and the premise of the call is this. At the beginning of the decade, money was cheap, and the management of capital was less risky. Credit today is now much tighter, and a less fungible money is a less fungible commodity. In a time of short capital, more than ever, in order to acquire or sell goods and services, consumers and vendors alike need a financing leasing plan. Having a strategy to get access to cash is going to avoid costly maintenance bills, uh, lessen the chance of missing technology refresh cycles, um, address power and co cooling concerns, and uh, avoid potentially blowing a sale. This market is a double whammy for users. On the, on the one side, CFOs are tightening the belt and slashing budgets. Uh, on the other, financing is going to become a bottleneck to getting deals done. So companies without a financing and leasing strategy are going to face significant unforeseen problems. It's a very important issue. Uh, we talked about some of the pluses and we really gathered some of the pluses and minuses of, of leasing. Uh, it matches benefits to cost, i.e. you're paying as you're accruing benefit. You're guarding against technological obsolescence. Uh, leasing, very importantly, allows you to do transactions off balance sheet, and that was probably the most important um, uh, plus. That's uh, a better use of cash. Uh, and, and also, there's simpler disposal. Uh, the minuses is you better have good asset management practices in place. Uh, leasing, in, in many cases, can limit flexibility, i.e., if you have a layoff, you're still going to pay for a, a bunch of leased PCs. Uh, leasing, is, it was stressed, is a back-end business, and you must get partners that you can trust, and you must have processes in place to migrate equipment. Uh, very critical are the availability of data migration tools and technologies such as virtualization uh, applied to both servers and storage. Uh, we talked about the different types of leasing and financing options um, and really keyed in on, on two ways to better manage your assets. One is operating leases where you don't own the asset, and the other is capital leases where you do own the asset. Uh, and David shared with us uh, the four criteria to qualify for an operating lease. One, the lease term must be less than 75% of, of the useful life of the, the technology being leased. Two, the present value of the rent must be less than 90% of the equipment cost. Three, uh, there is no haggling and bargaining at the end of the lease, and four, there is no title transfer. Um, uh, 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 ensuring that you comply with those four factors will avoid you know, potential problems down the road with auditing, i.e. restating the finances and other 
complexities. Um, it's very important to get involved a number of constituencies, in particular internal council and treasury. Uh, as well, we talked about the purveyors of, of leases and, and financing options. Uh, it is estimated that leasing is a $260 billion business. Uh, vendor leasing companies have been the primary source of funding and, and leasing, or a primary source. Uh, sometimes, not always, the vendor is the best source uh, because they uh, are there to move technology. However, third-party lessors uh, can act as independent advisors and have no particular stake uh, other than uh, the financial transaction. Um, the vendor is motivated to uh, lock in a financial footprint and, as I said, may or may not give the best deal. The advice is don't sole source, balance your supplier portfolio. Uh, we talked about the importance of re residual values. Residual values is the forecast of the future value of the asset, and customers really need to have a rough idea as to whether or not the RV forecast makes sense. The message there is do your research and ensure that the residual value is aligned to your technology cycle objectives. Importantly, we talked about a number of factors in the contract. In, in many senses, the lease is the contract. Um, David stressed managing the lease, uh, tracking the lease. We talked about asset management and also return provisions. What are they? Are they reasonable? For example, original packaging versus uh, returning the product in a reasonably standard commercial box, uh, memory upgrades, software transferability, and licensing issues all should be considered very carefully as uh, penalties may in fact apply for returning equipment that is of a different configuration and or uh, adding assets to that technology may not be recouped. So make sure you get them back before you return the asset. Bottom line is everything is negotiable except the fact that you must make the payment. Um, what advice would the Wikibon community give to vendors? With capital markets changing and tightening, uh, this means uh, payment is becoming even more important. There are really two decision points that occur in a sale. One, uh, do I want this technology? Does it fit my business needs? And two, how do I pay for it? And vendors should find a partner that uh, you can work with at the back end sharing the relationship that can help finance deals. Uh, there is a concern in general that leasing slows down the sales cycle. In today's market especially, leasing can actually accelerate the sales cycle by doing some upfront paperwork and having a financial footprint in place and a financing framework, both vendors and customers can benefit uh, from faster deal cycles. The top three things that users should consider, one, Leasing, again, is a back-end business, and you can't enter into contracts lightly. You need a management team that is committed to the process, especially in tight markets. Management reviews need to be more stringent um, and uh, uh, to make sure that the particular financing option makes sense. Two, with budget constraints, be aware of financing alternatives and get general agreement between the CIO, CFO, and Treasury and have an open dialogue and discussion with those constituencies. And three, understand the differences and parameters between capital leases and operating leases, and make sure you're not in default of loan covenants or exposed to audits that will force you to restate financials. Action item. In these tight financial markets, leasing is becoming an increasingly viable option for customers. However, customers should balance their financial strategies and use leasing, bank financing, and acquisition as viable strategies aligning financial, te technological, and business goals. 
Customers should ensure that asset management practices are in place and specific business practices that are conducive to leasing are in place to enable facile adoption of key technologies. So that's the summary. Um, I'd like to remind everybody to please vote, no matter what your uh, uh, tendency, and uh, exercise your right as Americans. Thank you very much for your attention today. Again, thanks to David Berman. We'll see you next time.